Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Good morning. Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Uh, Hope you're all doing well this morning. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm excited for what God put on my heart to share with you this morning. Um, But before I get there, I wanted to back up a minute and review last week. Uh, If you were here last week, you kind of know what I'm talking about. I just really enjoyed, uh, Greg Carter was a guy who gave the sermon last week. He's a worship pastor over at Moscow Real Life, and uh, he's just got a unique way of presenting things. And all week I've had this image in my mind that he gave us, uh, the idea of a fish in water and how fish just have no idea the value of the water they're in unless they're out of water. And uh, he termed that for us, we are like fish in an ocean of grace. And I I love that because we're kind of like the fish. Do we really appreciate being surrounded constantly by God's grace? Do we understand that it's God's grace that gives us life, that allows us to live? Um, Or do we take that for granted? And he kind of gave the story or talked about the two debtors, one that owed 50 denarii, one that owed 500 And we really need to understand that the message of that story is not that one had a little debt he could pay, the other one had a big debt maybe he couldn't pay. The idea was both of them, there was no way. Maybe it had been better in our culture to say one owed $50 million and the other owed a billion dollars. I mean, it's like, it didn't matter. It was both of them were so far beyond their ability to pay. And until we understand that we have a debt that there's no way we can cover, that maybe we don't appreciate the grace that surrounds us. God doesn't give us grudgingly. God doesn't give us at certain times. God surrounds us with his grace. So I just love that image. I've been thinking about it all week. Um, I don't want to be a fish that takes its environment for granted. Uh, Well, today, today I want to talk about another topic that kind of permeates a lot of interactions that Jesus has in the Gospels, a lot of the stories. And in, in a lot of ways, it permeates our culture as well. And that topic uh, would be fear. Um, let me start by just asking the question, anything you're afraid of? Anything at all? Uh, I just thought it'd be fun to look at a couple things that might be an issue for a couple people. Uh, spiders would be one. Anybody afraid of spiders at all? Well, you're going to love this then. So uh, this is a little video of a house in Australia that they found a couple spiders at. How would you like to wake up to that one morning, if, especially if you're a little squeamish about spiders? I mean, it goes on. It covers the entire room, wall-to-wall curtains. Uh, anyway, I was going to put sound on there, but why? I can just hear, I can just hear your screams out there. Uh, so that'd be one. Two would be, uh, two would be snakes. I, there are probably a few people. Anybody afraid of snakes at all? <laughs> well, well, Judy and I, when we lived in Malawi in Africa... Uh, snakes were a part of life. We had in our little house compound there, we had the gardener told us one day that he threw a spitting cobra over the wall. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, That's great. Uh, We also had black and green mambas, two of the deadliest snakes in the world. Uh, Green mambas are actually gorgeous. I thought I'd throw a picture up here. Green mamba, there they are. Aren't they beautiful? Who knows that they're that deadly? Uh, But we had a, a, a nest of these in our little gate uh, brick gate that we had, and the little babies would come out in the morning and sun themselves. And 
I'm not sure where they went in the afternoon, but uh, anyway, if you like snakes, that's beautiful. If you don't like snakes, maybe that's not quite so beautiful. Um, so I don't know about you, if those hit a nerve at all. Uh, when I was a kid, I was, I was definitely afraid of the dark uh, a bit. Uh, ages 6 to 10. We lived in a house in Spokane, built in the 50s. And uh, I don't know if they had sadistic contractors in those days, but we had a uh, you know, one-level house, but it had a basement. It wasn't quite finished. We had a lot of storeroom places where we would go down and play around. But getting down there, uh, they made... Thank you, contractor, for making sure the only way you could turn the light on is when you got down to the bottom of the stairs. So for you know, a six-year-old kid, it's like this 20 feet of terror trying to get down to the stairs, run down and... <laughs> uh, you know, irrational, like nobody's going to come out and hit me or, you know, anything. But for a six-year-old kid, the dark just creates the unknown. A little fear comes up. So I don't know if that's uh, that was your experience. Um, <clears throat> I would say the persistent thing as I got older, heights were kind of my thing. Um, you know, whether it was diving or just being up high, you just kind of get wobbly and heart starts racing. I don't know if any of you are like that. Uh, in this case, I just want to show you in a minute uh, how I overcame that fear in some ways. <clears throat> Twelve years ago, uh, my wife and I moved back from Africa. We were there for four years. We moved back in 2008. 2010, we took our first group of students, college students, to go help run a couple of camps. And uh, this particular trip, 2010, we went to Zimbabwe. And uh, at the end of that trip, we got to spend a couple of days in Victoria Falls, which is phenomenal experience. Uh, but they had things you could do there at Vic Falls. And uh, I got goaded a lot about doing this particular thing. But so uh, above the Zambezi River, about 200 feet, they had this platform that you could jump off of. So that's me. And you'll appreciate it as you watch it. But there you go. He's going down. And he disappears. Oh, my gosh, it's down there. Oh, gosh, there he is. Yeah, that's beautiful. Anyway, that, uh, <laughs> I still get a little nervous, but that, that was quite the rush. I have to, you can't really tell, but up there is a, uh, as I'm swinging down, I don't know how far, maybe 50 feet above the water or something, but I see this hippo on its back because it had gone over the falls and, uh, I said, how often does that happen? Oh, about once a month, we lose a hippo over the falls. It's like, great. Uh, so I had a much more enjoyable trip than the hippo did. But uh, we are going back uh, in two weeks. That's part of, part of why I reminded of this. We're going back to Zimbabwe with uh, 11 of us in two weeks from today. We'll be flying out of Seattle and helping with a couple of Young Life camps there again. And we'll spend a couple of days at Vic Falls. Uh, so I just had to throw that out there to remind myself, um, share with you. Well, um, before I get into the meat of what I want to talk about, I, I was talking mostly about physical fears, fears that kind of, you know, everybody has kind of little things that maybe they're afraid of. What I want to focus on today is less about physical fears and more about kind of emotional, even spiritual fears. Uh, but first I need to say there are, there are healthy fears. Uh, like if, if there's a bear in your backyard, you probably want to be afraid. You probably want to be able to run faster than you normally would. So that, that's a healthy fear. If you're a parent and you're a little fearful of where your kids are playing or what they're doing, uh, you need that fear to just, it, it warns us, it keeps us aware. That's a healthy fear. Uh, what I want to talk about is kind of the fear that paralyzes us, 
that keeps us from doing what we want to do, could do, maybe should do, but just can't. Or it just becomes such a a presence, if you will. So more of an emotional, uh, spiritual kind of fear. Uh, Well, where does that come from? Where does that kind of fear uh, come from in the first place? And for the answer to that, you have to go all the way back. All the way back to the garden, uh, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve. We know the story. Uh, at least I'm assuming we do. We kind of know that you know, Adam and Eve were created in this beautiful world that God had. He gave them dominion over everything, steward everything. You can do anything you want. God was constantly with them. I mean, it was paradise on earth, clearly. Uh, and then he just said, but one thing. I just asked one thing. Don't eat the fruit from that tree. Uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we all know that that they did, and we all blame them for uh, for doing that because that we inherited that uh, the results of that. But I want to look at it the results of that a little different filter, a little different lens. So let's go back to Genesis three and see what transpired after they had done what they did. Genesis three eight to ten says, "Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day." And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. I mean, what does that have to do with what they did wrong? I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Um, That was the result of (laughs) what the what they had eaten, the fruit that God asked them not to eat. We could spend a couple topics, maybe we will down the road, about this whole topic of nakedness in Genesis. It's all over the first few chapters. You know, talked about they were naked, and they probably said that five times in one chapter. And then here, here's the fall, and it mentions their nakedness a bunch more times. So there's something to that, and we'll get to that. But for today, I just want to focus on kind of the first and third thing in that little phrase. Uh, I heard you... And I was afraid, so I hid. Uh, so in essence, uh, we kind of tend to look at uh, the fall as being a, an issue of morality or sin. That's when sin entered the world. And as a result of that, we are sinful people. We do bad things. But that's not really the main message here. The main message is when we separated ourselves from the Father, that we lost a relationship with the Father. And that caused fear. Uh, don't know if you ever thought about that. But I'll just put it in a... Fear is a result. Fear is the result of being separated from the Father. Uh, that's where fear comes from. When we lose the connection with the Father, we become fearful, anxious. Uh, we know that's true just in our own world, in our own life. Uh, just think about a, a toddler. Um, a toddler loses connection with their parents, particularly their mom, even as a baby. Uh, there were a few babies in here this morning, but you know, the parent, a mom can leave the room and the baby gets fearful just because they, they lost that connection. It's like, oh my gosh, my world is in bad shape. I've lost touch with my mom. Um, and as we get older, it doesn't disappear. Um, when I was a youngster, um, I've told the story before, but in a different context, but when I was seven years old, our family, uh, I'll reveal how old I am. 1962, when I was seven years old, uh, we went to the World's Fair in Seattle. 
and it was awesome. Uh, seven years old, youngest of three boys, uh, half a million people in the Seattle Center, people from all over the world, lots to do, lots to see. And for a seven-year-old, it was like, this is going to be a delight. Uh, but I was instructed, and my older brother, who was about six years old, and I hold Gary's hand, just you guys stay connected. And uh, so that lasted, I don't know, I have no idea how long. All I know is at one time, I uh, don't know why, how, where, but I realized I was no longer connected to my brother, my father, and I became fearful. I became lost. It wasn't until I recognized that I was, I was probably enjoying myself for a while until I realized, oh my gosh, I'm out of touch. I have, I've lost connection, uh, and I became fearful. And then my only goal was, I got to get back to my parents. I got to get reconnected, uh, or I will continue to be both lost and fearful. Um, so that is where that comes from. And uh, really, since the garden, man has been fearful and hiding in a lot of ways ever since. Uh, that's just part of our world, like um, just to be aware of. Well, there are three, three universal fears I want to talk about. Again, less about the physical fears, more about the constant at- atmosphere of fear, if you will. Three universal fears I think we all have, uh, men and women equally. Uh, well, at least the first two. Third's a little different. First one would be the fear of failure, um, kind of a universal fear. We kind of enter this world, and it doesn't matter whether it's relationships or work or whatever arena you're in, there's a constant kind of backdrop, uh, a backdrop of what if I fail at what I'm doing in, uh, in, what I, in my relationships or in my uh, being a dad or being a husband or uh, whatever it is. Fear of failure, kind of universal. Uh, second would be a fear of not being good enough, um, not being able to measure up. Uh, constant kind of, again, background thing. What if I'm not good enough to do what I need to do or just be a good enough person? If you think about it, those first two, you can see the easy connection to our spiritual world uh, because when we become separated from the Father, we become fearful of failure. It's like, I, I don't know if I can do this. And I don't know if I can be good enough. Uh, as a kid growing up, that was my biggest thought about God is I'm not good enough for God. Uh, he's, his bar is up here and I'm somewhere down here. I'm <laughs> so I kind of avoided that fear because I just wasn't worth getting into for me. Um, but that's part of that. The third, the third fear uh, for men, it's the fear of being found out. It's a fear of uh, if, you know, another way to put that might be if you only knew who I really was. Uh, again, that, that can affect a job relationship if they don't know how unqualified I am or am I just faking it here. Uh, when I got married, uh, I was one of those, some of you can relate, I married way up. I mean way up. Uh, and, uh, and honestly, for probably, people probably ask, well, how in the world did you drug her or how did she not know? You know you're clearly not in the same category. And I, I kind of internalized that. I was like, oh, I better protect my image. <laughs> so years, probably, I'm uh, pretending to be somebody I'm not. Not really, but protecting. I, I don't want her to know who I really am because I know myself intimately. And as much as you want um, a marriage where you're totally transparent, I still think we guard each other. We guard ourselves from each other. Uh, we still kind of protect ourselves because we're not confident in who we are. Um, so there's that fear. For, for a woman, the third fear is the fear of disappointing others. 
It's a fear of failure or letting somebody else down, not being good enough for someone else. Uh, women a little more relational in that sense, emotionally, than men. So their, their sense of fear would be in letting somebody else down. Um, so there's those. And I would, I would add, even in the most successful people, you get the same answers if you're talking to CEOs of a top 500 or top 50 corporation. Their fear is still failure. Uh, I might lose this business or this job or I'm not good enough for this job. doesn't matter how successful or unsuccessful you might be. It's the same level of fear. Um, so there's that. Uh, so I would say fear affects or controls uh, in some ways a lot of our lives to different degrees. But it is constantly there. Fear of future. Like what, what's going to happen? The what ifs in life. Uh, usually when we ask what if in this context, it's not about, we don't think about the best that could happen. We usually think about the worst. What if something goes wrong? What if uh, I get sick? What if, you know, I'm, I'm getting near retirement. It's like what my, my fear, honestly, is probably done. Am I secure enough in what I have? What am I depending on for retirement? That unknown, like I'm on my own now uh, in terms of I have to depend on what I've set aside. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, uh, the ground background there. Um, so I would say they're probably constant companions, kind of in some ways kind of like the fish in water, except in this analogy we're kind of surrounded by this, this fear that we become aware of at different times. Maybe we don't even recognize that we live in that kind of environment. Um, COVID. Yeah, this doesn't take a great imagination to think to think about what's happened in the last two years with COVID. Uh, all the research, all you've probably heard it a number of times, but the result of COVID over the last two years, in our world, my wife works at WSU, I work with college students, you see it really clearly. Uh, this elevation in fear and anxiety, depression, particularly among younger people. Uh, why is that? Why, why did COVID cause that uh, much more drastic than the health implications, particularly for younger people. Why? Because we're created to be relational beings. Uh, Not only be connected or related to God, but to relate to others, to be in relationship with others. We lose that connection with COVID, and guess what? We become fearful, anxious, even depressed, because we've lost that relationship. Um, I've talked to a number of students, a few adults, all kind of in the same discussion. And one gal in particular last week uh, met a gal that walked into the coffee shop, just introduced myself and uh, talked for a minute. And she was wearing a mask, and uh, which is fine. But I just kind of asked her, oh, do you go to church here? And she goes, well, no, I used to. Uh, I used to come to church here uh, before COVID. But now I, I have a hard time getting out of the house. I have a hard time. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever be able to come back to church. I mean, she, it was clear. She said, I'm just afraid. And I think it has a lot less to do with health than it does this underground kind of, I've been separated from people and I'm just fearful about interacting with people again. Um, Well, she might ask the question, why? I I would try to answer that question with this phrase if I could. Maybe it's up here. Um, We have lost the voice of the one who created us. I think that's the reason why. We've lost the voice of the one who created us. The one who tells us that we're enough. The one who tells us that we're loved. 
were valuable because that's what Adam and Eve had in the garden. And that's the voice that God still tries to get through the fear <laughs> to say, no, 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 you are, you are enough. You are valuable. You are loved. Uh, do we hear that voice? Because I'm convinced the only, we won't uh, overcome that fear in our life until we're reconnected to the Father. Uh, and that starts with relationship. You know, if there are people in this room that haven't made that first step in being reconnected to the Father, that haven't reestablished that relationship. Uh, because ever since the garden, that's been God's primary obsession, if you will, is I've got to get people back, back with me, back to the garden, back the way it was supposed to be. Uh, so if you haven't reconnected to him, I would say that that's the first step in overcoming being in a culture, if you will, of, of fear, um, and maybe recognizing fear uh, dominates, dominates us. In the same way, until we really believe his voice, until we hear his voice, uh, it's going to be hard to overcome those fears. Uh, so, I'm going to turn the page, literally, but um, what does the person of Christ have to say about fear? That's the name of the series here. And Jesus, when he was here, uh, fascinating that his number one command, his number one phrase, if you read through the Gospels, is either, don't be afraid, <laughs> do not fear, uh, take courage, uh, something like that, Some one of those things. Uh, but he normally always followed it up with, immediately with, because I'm, it is I. Uh, do not fear, I am here. Do not fear, I am with you, always. Um, those two are, two themes that are always present in those conversations that Jesus has. You can't read a, uh, a passage where fear is involved where Jesus doesn't make sure that he tells them, here's how you overcome fear. Uh, he recognizes that fear is a part of our world, part of our, the water we live in, if you will. But he also knows how he can overcome it. Um, and I, he uses the phrase as well, uh, take, uh, have faith to believe. Uh, as part of overcoming that. And I, I just want you to, I'll read these three verses and I want you to see how they're, they're connected, those two themes. Matthew eight twenty four says this. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him and said, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. I mean, uh, you have to picture this scene, first of all. These are fishermen that spend their lives on the lake. Uh, this had to be a really brutal storm uh, for them to be so fearful that they might drown. But if you're like me, when I looked at this, my first thing that jumps out is, how in the world is Jesus asleep in this thing? How is he sleeping through this storm? It's got to be really brutal. And he's just, I understand you're tired, Jesus, but <laughs> this is a raging storm. And I think Jesus, I think the answer is because Jesus is in control. He can be in the middle of a storm and it, he knows that it's going to be okay. And I, I think his message to his disciples is, is, well, it's this. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? He could have probably added to that, I'm in your boat. You don't need to be afraid. I'm here. I'm not going to let this devour you. I'm not going to let this overcome you. I'm in your boat. You don't need to fear. And he got up and calmed the waves yeah, I mean, just, I, I can't even imagine that where nature goes from a raging storm to, I mean, just picture a calm lake, calm sea. 
uh, from one that's rolling waves and wind. Uh, said after that that they were terrified. <laughs> so went from one fear to another fear, and they said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? A uh, new level of fear, but in this case, I think it was a, uh, a fear of awe. It's just who is this guy? Um, well, second verse, Matthew fourteen and We'll look at this again in uh, another story. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. I mean, he, he steps into a fearful scene and immediately says, take courage, it's me, I'm here, I'm with you. Uh, third, Mark four forty says, he said to his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Because faith is assurance that Jesus is there. Faith is knowing that Jesus is with you. Uh, that's what faith is, knowing he's real and he's, he's present. Um, so, do we see the connection? Do you see the connection between fear and faith? Uh, <laughs> if we're connected and have a relationship with him, then we can overcome fear. Uh, he's in our boat. Why, why, would we, why would we need to be afraid? Not that it destroys fear, not that it alleviates it, but we can overcome it. Fear is not an obstacle to faith. Fear is an opportunity to grow in faith. That's how we need to look at fear, not something to be, you know, it'll, it'll be there, uh, because in some ways we're, we're always a bit separated from the reality of, uh, of God's presence. But fear is an opportunity to grow in faith, and that's what Jesus tries to communicate. Um, well, that brings us to a little story I want to talk more about, and that's Peter walking on the water. Uh, I just see this great uh, connection where Peter's, Peter's just struggling with fear and faith at the same time. And it's a, it's a great lesson for us. Here it is in uh, Matthew 14. 22 to 29 says, <clears throat> Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat uh, was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So another storm is, is rising on the lake, and at least at this point, to the point where they can't even make any headway. They've been out there for hours. And we're, I've been to the Sea of Galilee. You're talking maybe two miles, <laughs> three miles. It's probably as far as they're going. And it's been hours, and they're still out in the middle of the lake. They can't get across because the wind is so strong uh, against them. So it goes on. Um, <clears throat> Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. <clears throat> Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Love that. But then here's Peter. I just, uh, Peter's my... <laughs> He's amazing. I love his response. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. What a bold statement. I mean, how about just make sure I know it's you. I'll be better. Or come into the boat. No, if Jesus, if it's really you, you tell me to come out there. I want to walk on the water too. Uh, so Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Uh, 
Why was Peter able to walk on the water? Not because he had great courage, not because he had some talent he'd been working on. It's not like, uh, I've been working, I've been practicing this. I think it's time for me to head out there. The only reason Peter was able to walk on the water because he was listening to Jesus' voice. He needed Jesus' assurance. I'm not just with you, but I'm telling you, come, come do this, and you'll be able to walk on the water. Uh, so he did. I mean, just think, I mean, we kind of take it for granted. We we miss that point between come and Peter's walking on the water. You're in a you're in a pretty heavy wind storm, and Peter puts his leg over the side of the boat. And what? I mean, what point does he actually just try to stand on the water? I mean, that I, I think it takes more courage than it does faith. But the point is, as long as his eyes were on Jesus, as long as he was listening to Jesus' voice, he was fine. But then uh, we may know how the story ends. But when he saw the wind, when he saw what was going on around him, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when we see that phrase, I think I've always, you know, tone and inflection is always so important. I don't see this as a rebuke. I don't see Jesus saying to Peter, Jesus, or Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I think it's more like a father with his toddler. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? You were almost here. Because if you look at the story, it says he's walking to him, and then he sees the waves, and then he starts to fear and cries out, and it says Jesus immediately reached down and grabbed him. So he was probably just feet away from Jesus at this point. He may have been going 20, 30 yards out there. Uh, so I think it was more like a father encouraging, say, yeah, you had it. You had it. Keep your eyes on me. Uh, because sometimes Peter gets a bad rap because, oh, he lost his faith. Where are the other 11 disciples? They're back in the boat going, whoa, go Peter. (laughs) Glad it's not me. Um, So Peter had great faith, but he, more than that, he had, he had the key. The key was as long as I'm hearing his voice, as long as I'm connected to him, uh, I can overcome this fear. I can overcome the circumstances uh, around me. Well, Clearly, we're, uh, we're turning this to ourselves. How do you apply this to your own life, your situation maybe? Uh, are you the kind of person, uh, like I have been at many times, where I let circumstances or surrounding things dictate what I can or can't do, what I'm able to do, uh, keeps me from doing the things I want to do sometimes? Um, just think about that as we, uh, as we look at this. Uh, I will say these two things. We demonstrate our faith with our feet. Faith is not a mental thing as much as it is a verb. Faith is, we demonstrate our faith with our feet. Peter could have said, well, I have faith that you, I could walk on the water. But it doesn't mean anything unless he steps out and walks on the water. We could believe that Jesus could do anything in my life. But do I really, am I willing to step out and allow him to transform me in some ways? Because here's the, here's the other key. God doesn't equip us so we can go. God equips us as we go. That's, I'm sorry, that's just the lesson we have to learn. Uh, God isn't going to say, well, I'll get rid of that fear so you can do what you want to do. No. He says, you take a step and I'll give you what you need. Uh, trust me. Believe in me. Have faith. Don't be afraid. Uh, but that's the key. We have to understand he equips us as we step out in faith. Um, well, 
Feeling fearful is normal humanity. Feeling fearful is normal humanity. Acting courageously, that is an act of faith. That's what we need to remember. Uh, I want to uh, finish with a couple of verses here. Kind of an encouragement, exhortation, if you will. Uh, probably verses you've heard, but in this application, it, it means a lot. Romans eight thirty-eight and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all of creation. That pretty much covers it. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that could separate you, your grip from God once he's got you. Nothing in all of creation. Do we believe that? Do we understand that? Can we take courage in that? Uh, And in... Uh, Matthew twenty eight twenty it says, well, backstory, this is the final uh, discussion Jesus has in Matthew with his disciples where he tells them to go and make disciples and baptizing them and teaching them. But surely I will be with you even to the end of the age. So we can't be separated. Uh, he is always with us. So we can take courage in that. I, I would even say this. Jesus is closer to us, more connected to us, more present with us than he was with Peter in the boat. You know, you look at your circumstance, you go, well, yeah, he was, Peter was right there with Jesus. Well, if we've said yes to Jesus, he's not only with us, he's in us. He lives in us. He gives us his spirit to live in us. So we can never say, oh, he's, I just wish Jesus was here because he's there. Do we have faith to understand that? Do we believe that? Are we listening to his voice Uh, because if it's if it's true if we believe that then we can step out of the boat in any circumstance we're in thanks for checking out this message from real life you can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on facebook or youtube until next time have a great week